It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. We are recording this episode on Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020. And similar to a lot of our episodes, it's really no secret that the world is going through and experiencing a lot of tragedy. We are moving through sadness, confusion, uncertainty in a number of ways. And more recently, the United States especially is very focused on the tragedy of George Floyd and a number of people that were affected and or lost their lives due to racism. And it's a really important topic. I've often felt a little frustrated that our episodes don't come out the day that we record them because so much can change within a week or so. They're edited. And and just for you as context, as a listener, we record our shows at least seven days ahead of time. And then they are submitted to an editor who edits the show and publishes them and creates the show notes. And I feel the need to share that because it's just such a whole production and it's not necessarily just like off the cuff or whatever. You know, we're not just like sharing them and posting them immediately. And I found myself kind of wishing that we were doing more of that and trying to think about how we might be able to have more timely conversations, I suppose, just simply because so much can change in just seven days. I mean, certainly the past seven days in the United States, especially, have been a bit like unpredictable. Things are constantly changing each day. And I think today might be the seventh day of protests. Is that right, Jason? Um, I know in Los Angeles, they really started this past Saturday. That's when it felt like there was a massive shift. There may have been some protests before that time. Yeah, I think this is technically speaking, in terms of the large scale stuff and the mobilization of large groups. And I think this is technically day five. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it depends which city, because there was a lot happening in Minneapolis True. previous to this. And I think that was due to the fact that's where George Floyd was based, and that's where the incident happened with the police there. And then the whole country has been responding, and now people around the world are responding to this, and it's incredibly important. So I begin this episode talking about that just to give that context, because we never know when you're listening, whether you're listening the day the episodes come out or sometime in the future. And we don't know what's going to happen by the time you hear this. <laughs> However, I feel like this subject matter applies no matter when you listen, because we do live in an ever-changing and evolving world. Some of the things that we're going to talk about today also apply to COVID-19, which is still happening and constantly changing. And it's really interesting how there's been a big shift of focus where so much of the world was paying attention to the COVID-19 developments for the past three months or so. Well, more technically, I guess COVID-19 started in, I think, like December 2019 or January. Then it really started to impact the entire world at the end of February and the beginning of March. And now we have this that we're facing, and it's just bringing up a lot for all of us. There's a lot of 
as I said, uncertainty. That's a huge keyword. There's a lot of focus on mental health right now and how we can deal with that. And having a show that's very focused on mental health and offering different perspectives and possible solutions, we really want to do our best to contribute in a way that helps you, the listener, work through a lot of this. And we are also the first to say that we don't have all the answers. And sometimes new answers and realizations come to us on the spot as we're recording. And that's one of my favorite parts of the show. I guess the other thing I wish that we had more of was a live connection with you, the listener, because we'll get a little feedback here and there. But there's so many people listen and and never share their feedback or share their opinions. And sometimes they do and after an episode goes out and I kind of wish that we could have like adjusted it based on some of that feedback. So maybe in the future, we will find some sort of live element of this. We've only done one live show thus far, which was actually in the beginning of March 2020 when COVID started and we posted on YouTube. And if you you didn't see it, that's because we actually didn't release it on this show. So a little bit of backstory for you as we gear up for this. Anything else that you wanted to add to any of those points, Jason? No, I have just so much on my heart and mind right now. Like it's, I just have so much that I've been listening to, wanting to learn and understand. And and I feel an interesting mix of emotions right now of compassion, sorrow, hopefulness, confusion. But ultimately, you know, I have a lot of feelings and I've been sharing them more and more on social media the past few days. And Today, Whitney, I've had some really interesting responses and reactions to those things that I've been sharing. And I know I texted you yesterday or a couple of days ago, like, I just need to speak from my heart, you know, and write from my heart and share from my heart and how it's going to be received is how it's going to be received. But I've had some fascinating reactions and responses to some of the stuff. I haven't had a chance to discuss that with you because it's just been this morning, but I've just been kind of sitting with that and I don't know, just sitting with the emotions of it all. Hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of us are in the same boat, you know, and especially when it comes to the midst of uprising that we're having right now as the result of George Floyd's death. And again, the ongoing racism we've had in the country and all different parts of the world. There's a lot of, of asking ourselves and internal reflection and external conversations, as you mentioned, Jason. I mean, through COVID-19 and the shift that we're facing right now in our country, I have been talking to people a little bit more deeply and frequently than I have. You know, like I'm not someone that usually gets on the phone with people that often or loves to text. I kind of like wait for opportunities and get together with friends and all that. But because of quarantine, I haven't been seeing people in person as much. And I've also felt the desire to not only check in with people, but find out what their perspectives are. And I've just been asking all of my close friends and people I haven't talked to very much, like, how are they doing? And what are their feelings on this? And what are they learning? And what are their struggles? And it's really been wonderful in that way, because I feel like I'm learning so much and feeling more connected to people than ever. And I think that is the silver lining here. And also part of how change happens. I feel like we need to consider things from different perspectives. And that also leads to things feeling very confusing because so many people have different opinions, whether it's COVID-19 or racism, the protesting and the looting and, you know, all these different reactions you're hearing from people. Sometimes you find yourself 
disagreeing. But I personally think that when you disagree with somebody, it can also be a great opportunity to think about, well, why do you disagree with them? And do you actually disagree? Like maybe there's something that you agree on within that disagreement. You know what I mean? Is it a hundred percent disagreement? Is it two sides of the same coin? I mean, there's really just so much that we can examine within ourselves and by listening to other people, especially people that maybe outside of our usual circle. You know, I think that's one of the most important things right now too is, is really listening to people who are different than you and trying to understand them as best as you can. We actually touched upon this in our recent episode about cultural appropriation, which we'll link to for you. If you have not listened to that yet, you could just search for it on the podcast or you can check out the show notes, which we post for every single episode at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. If you go to the podcast section of our website, we have show notes for you that you can check out with links. And speaking of links, I have a number of them pulled up. As usual, I do some research and uh, had something very specific I wanted to talk about on today. And I can jump into that, Jason, unless you had anything else you wanted to share. Well, first of all, just to add a, a very brief moment of levity, when you said I have links, I thought you were going to make a reference to my cat links. Oh. We have inside jokes. Whenever we hear links, we go, yeah, hidden name links, hidden name links. <laughs> so I thought you were going to add a moment of levity. Anyway, I have a really Aww. great cat. His name is Lynx. And Anyway, that's where I thought you were going to go. I Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. I actually did have something I want to, if I may, wait before you jump into the links today, just to loop back to something I briefly mentioned a few minutes ago. Cancel culture is something we've talked about a lot on this podcast series. And I, over the last couple of days, have been experiencing that. I've been posting things that I feel are enlightening and compelling and elucidating regarding Black Lives Matter, regarding equality, regarding this sweeping cultural movement that we are all in the midst of. And I've posted some things, things that I've wrote from the heart, things that other people have commented on. And I've had people unfollowing me and actually not just observing them unfollowing me, but them telling me. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Like what specifically? The last two days of posts, I posted a quote from the book, Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, which was my first year of college at age 18, the first experience I had ever had in reading about the troubles and tribulations and oppression that uh, black men face in America. I mean, it was really the first eye-opening experience. So I posted my experience with reading this book and being in college and having my mind and my heart opened and, and my stance on this movement and my stance on listening to black and brown voices and people of color and me wanting to learn and be open-hearted and receptive. And I'm sharing whatever the hell I want to share right now. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm reposting whatever stories I want to share. I posted this quote from Ralph Ellison and my commentary on this movement. And then today posted for Blackout Tuesday, which is a whole nother level of controversy. People saying it's a rigged thing. And it's, here's my thing. There's going to be people with opinions and perspectives and viewpoints and thinking they have the truth and no, this is actually the truth and you're wrong. And there's a lot of infighting right now. And I mentioned to you, Whitney, it reminds me of a lot of the bullshit that goes on in the vegan movement and the eco rights movement and everybody criticizing everybody else for how they're doing shit. I'm trying to write and speak from the heart, from a place of openness and learning as much as I can right now while also sharing what is on my heart, right? Like truthfully. 
And I had people, yeah, comment and like, I'm unfollowing you, sending me DMs or actually in the comment section being like, hashtag unfollow. And I'm like, cool. You know, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Like, bye. You know, because my opinion is this, and it goes back to one of the things that we were hearing about Marie Forleo and some of the other leaders in the coaching movement or the transformational space about, and I'm not calling out Marie specifically, but as an example, people saying that she and other people in the wellness movement have been tiptoeing around making definitive statements about how they feel about things because there's a perception that they're afraid of losing customers. They're afraid of losing business. So they're not taking a hardline stance. And I'm in a point right now, Whitney, where I'm like, if y'all want to unfollow me, you don't want to buy my books. You don't want to watch my TV series. You don't want to watch my YouTube or listen to our podcast. Goodbye. Like I'm speaking from the heart and speaking from my place of belief and standing for the friends and colleagues that I have that are black and brown people of color. I'm standing with them, right? The ones that are like for real, for real. And yeah, people aren't following me right now. And I could give half of a shit because it's like, I don't want your money. I don't want your following. I don't want your support if you are going to unfollow me because of my perspective and me speaking from my heart. If this triggers you that much or this is that confrontational, please don't follow me. Please don't buy my products. Like That's where I'm at with all of it. Did you see how Seth Rogen was handling this too? No, no. I mean, he went off. I would say right now, I have been paying more attention to the news and Twitter than I usually do. And I find the news helpful in figuring out what's going on locally and around the country and just the developments. And I really feel the urge to stay in the know. And Twitter has been helpful in a lot of ways, just seeing what's trending, because that's where a lot of the conversations are. And so you get to actually hear what people are saying all around the world and in the country. And you can narrow it down to people that are in your area. And it's been really great for me. And one of the things that was trending yesterday was Seth Rogen, because he put up a post saying, like, if you don't agree with me, unfollow me. And all these people were commenting, like, I'm unfollowing you, etc. And he would just respond to each and every one of them, like, F off and good riddance and just like, I mean, really aggressive reactions to it. And there was part of me that was like, ooh, like, (laughs) this doesn't feel great because that anger, like, is unsettling for me. But then again, there's a lot of people that are angry right now. And I'm sure people are angry all the time. But right now, we're really seeing it. And you know what? Just because I don't feel angry and don't have those reactions doesn't mean that they're not warranted and everyone's dealing with them in different ways. And I think the benefit is, is that he's really taking a stand and he really believes in that Black Lives Matter, as do each of us, Jason and Whitney. And, you know, each of us has a different way of expressing it. And I think even with Marie Forleo, I've been following the developments of that and how she's just tried to address people's concerns. And I sent Jason this one video that I think her name, was it Rachel or Raquel? What was her name? The Instagram video. Oh, yeah. A couple of days ago. I think it was Raquel. Man, I watched the whole thing and I was like, damn, like speak your truth. And the thing that resonated really quick with me though, Whitney, and again, I'm not speaking about Marie's character, right? Because we've only met her once. I don't know Marie personally, but I think her point overall to just do a callback real quick was like people tiptoeing around stuff because there is a possibility they might be afraid of whatever, losing business, losing followers, losing clients. And her opinion is like, fuck it, you know, like stand on our side. Like her thing was if, you know, 
if you are taking black people's money and enrolling them as clients or followers or whatever, like stand for your community, stand for your people. And I had to say, like, I resonated with a lot of the stuff that she was sharing about that. I did too. And I mean, this is part of the conundrum is that I can actually see both sides and I find myself in general having a very balanced perspective. And I tend to not want to take sides unless I'm obviously don't want to take the side of an oppressor. But I don't know if I would say that Marie is trying to oppress people, even though some of her actions might have seemed that way. I mean, she went on to try to explain it. And some people think it's a performance. And that's the word that keeps coming up. And even today, on Tuesday, the second, it's uh, called Blackout Tuesday. And people are sharing just black images on their social media. And if you look at the comments of some of these, a lot of people are typing the word like performance or something like similar to that, basically saying, you don't really feel this way. You're just doing that because everyone else is doing it or you're doing it because you feel like you have to, but like, what is it that you really believe? And I think that it's tricky because some of us don't know how to articulate our beliefs. And some of us are questioning and redefining our beliefs. And previous to seeing everything that was developing with Marie Forleo, I saw a wonderful video on TikTok from a Black woman saying that her advice for white people is to speak their truth and not be afraid of messing up because each of us mess up. And this is actually in that Instagram video that we're referencing. And we can link to that if you'd like, if it's still available to watch. We'll put that in the show notes of wellevator.com. Both of them were talking about how we mess up, right? And so as long as you're speaking your truth, then that's what's most important. I think I would say the same thing to you too, Jason. I mean, I know that you really took the time to reflect on what you wanted to say. And it's really tough right now because there's simultaneous pressure to say something and not be silent. And yet some people are being criticized for what they say. So it's like, well, what do you want? Do you want me to be silent or do you want me to say what I feel right now? And why can't you be okay with me making a mistake? And that's how I am reacting to this is like, I felt that Marie is coming from the heart and has been working really hard to help people for a long time. And I forgive her for making mistakes. But I also understand that some people just don't have any tolerance for it. Even if you make a mistake, they just, they're done. you know. And we can't fault them for that either. We're just all experiencing different things. And We're all trying to figure out our truth and we're all trying, I shouldn't speak for everybody, but it seems like many of us are really trying to figure this out and we approach it from a lot of different perspectives and experiences. There's no right or wrong way in my opinion, but some people feel more comfortable believing there's a right or wrong way. Sure, sure. It's the complexity and the diversity of how many layers of change and upheaval and introspection and justice. I mean, we have the backdrop of COVID. We have the backdrop of, let's just be honest about it, you know, global economic devastation. Okay. That's the other layer to this too, right? Is understanding that this isn't just about George Floyd. Okay. Like f- for the listeners or whoever's tuning, like it's not just about this single incident of this innocent man being killed. It's not about that. It's about the buildup and the confluence of, I mean, let's just face it, right? Like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of violence and oppression and apathy and greed and separation. 
and segregation. And you add that to people being locked in their houses for months at a time. You add it to a disproportionate ratio of people of color having their health affected by COVID. That's just statistically speaking. And then you have the other layer of the people who are most vulnerable in our society economically being devastated by the lockdown, right? So people are like, why are people so angry? Why are they rioting? I'm not talking about the looting. I'm not talking about that. I'm, you know, why are they protesting? Why are they? Because it's a confluence of so many things coming to a head at once. It's not about, in my opinion, a single incident. It's about so many factors, so many ingredients, if you will, in this soup boiling over. It's like people are angry. They're fed up. They're at their wits end. And I think, you know, if I may, Whitney, and we'll link to this in the show notes because I think it's worth watching. Anderson Cooper did a interview with Cornell West a couple days ago. Cornell West is an incredible voice. I've always, even prior to this, enjoyed hearing his commentary, his viewpoints. He's a professor emeritus from Princeton, a black man who was talking about how he believes that America is a, quote, failed social experiment. That to paraphrase what he said in this video, which we can watch in the show notes, that all of the factors of how we treat one another, our racial injustice, our economic disparity, our healthcare, like he basically is like America is failing. It's not just this one thing, like we as a country are failing. That's a charged statement, but I have to agree because I don't think this is about personally, this is my opinion, Wit, I don't think this is about reforming the systems as much as it is blowing up the systems we have and replacing it with things that are much more kind and equitable and balanced and ethical. And I don't think a bailout is going to help this. I don't think having more corrupt politicians in positions of power is going to help this. I mean, in some ways, I agree with him. It's a failed experiment, and we collectively have to figure out what's going to replace all of this. That's where I'm at with it. Absolutely. I actually feel good in a lot of ways about what's happening and the anger and some of the destruction. I mean, I feel bad for people that are directly affected, but the truth is there haven't been very many injuries or deaths, at least not that have been reported. Again, <laughs> the news is constantly changing. I think I read an unfortunate case of one man, I think it might have been in Louisiana, that I don't know if he was killed by a police. Where, I mean, it's so hard to keep track of all this, sadly, but by the time this episode comes out, things could have changed drastically. My point being, relative to the amount of anger and crime and intensity and just action that's happening, things have been relatively sane, you know? Things have felt relatively organized. Even the looting has been organized. You know, the police have been organized and changing in a different way. And the protesters have been more organized. And it's been really fascinating to just see that. And I absolutely agree. There's so much in this country and the world that just doesn't work very well. And so I'm cheering for all of these people that are taking even the drastic action because it's bringing attention to this. It's saying we're no longer going to ignore this. You know, I participated in the Women's March after Trump got elected, and I'm not sure how much changed as a result of that. It felt really good to be there. I loved being around all these women. I felt like very personally empowered and I was making a difference that day. But like it kind of fizzled down fairly fast, if I remember correctly. That doesn't mean it wasn't worthwhile. I'm just saying that in contrast to what's happening right now, 
feels very different. Feels like people are speaking out and acting in a much louder way. And that's very needed. And I have been in a way feeling more pressure than ever to educate myself on things like racism, just listening to more conversations from a wider diversity of people and reading more books and feeling more sensitive and paying attention to my words and also pushing myself to speak out in ways that I might not have felt comfortable to do before. I'm trying to embrace the experiment and realize that people might unfollow me and that's okay, you know? And people unfollow me all the time anyways. You know what I mean? Like it's it's really it's no matter how hard I try and I said to Jason before, it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, and I've spent a lot of my career tiptoeing around things. We talked about this in the cultural appropriation episode and how I've really tried to like take the path of least resistance or like, you know, how can I please the most people and make the most people feel good? And that's out of compassion. But sometimes when we're trying too hard to be soft, it doesn't make the difference that's needed. And just to follow up on Jason's point, I'm actually... I feel this collective energy of intensity and anger is actually very, very important and needed. And even in the moments where I feel unsafe, I think maybe it's good for me to feel unsafe because there's a lot of people in this world and this country specifically that feel unsafe every single day. Yes. And what's wrong with me experiencing that? Like I've had the privilege of feeling safe for most of my life, whereas a lot of these people haven't. And so to anyone that has been like kind of complaining about things. I mean, I can understand it. If you have a business, sure, you probably feel really upset about the looting. But the truth is, if you have insurance or money put aside or the structure in your business, you have something in place likely that will help you through this. 100%. But a lot of the people that are upset right now feel unsafe every single day and don't have the resources to help themselves through this and don't feel like they're being paid attention to. And I think it's important for us to really step back and look at it from a relative perspective, relative to our own life. It might make sense to complain and fear for things, but relative to the other people in this world, we don't have very much to complain about when it comes to what's going on right now. 100%. Whitney, I love that you phrase it that way because it's like, for us to experience confusion, fear, discomfort, lack of safety, insecurity, to your point, there are people, yes, who face that and that's all they know. That's their existence, right? And the other thing too is like, you know, and the thing that I think about is how many layers there are to all of this, right? And that I think it's so tempting, systematically speaking, to go back to quote normal. We keep hearing that over and over again. We've talked about it in past episodes of the coded language of the new normal and you know this is the way it's going to be and all of this it's my whole thing is like we can't just address a level of causality we have to go to a symptomatic level right and it's not only from a cultural perspective looking at the learned behavior and the generations of racism and the generations of oppression right things that are learned and it's going deeper than that into the economic injustice of looking at the industries that on the lowest tier of their workers, the people that are making minimum wage are, again, proportionately higher people of color. And it's like the systems of not only the racial divide on a cultural level, but an economic level. We go back to like, to talk about Amazon for a second, it's like Jeff Bezos, he is what he is. 
made an extra 50, 55 million dollars so far during COVID, you know, and has in the past tried to oppose a minimum wage rage to $15 an hour for his most vulnerable workers, right? And it's like, we need to address the fact that the system is completely broken. It's broken if people are having to beg for $15 an hour to support them and their families and just a basic wage and a basic healthcare. And you have a person who is on track to potentially become the world's first trillionaire, right? Something's massively, massively broken. And it does affect people of color because you look at, at places like animal agriculture or farm workers or people that work in warehouses. It's people of color who are doing these jobs and especially in places that are extremely high cost of living, like Silicon Valley, like San Francisco, like LA, like New York. I mean, at a certain point, we have to start dismantling the systems that are crushing people, Whitney. And literally, I say that like they're crushing life out of people. When you have people making billions and billions and billions of dollars and then people begging for $15 an hour, something we have to dismantle and recreate it anew. I really believe that. I don't know what it's going to be moving forward, whether that's going to be a universal basic income, as some people like Andrew Yang and other politicians have suggested, or I don't have answers. I just know that the system we're in right now is literally crushing the life out of people. Well, the topic I wanted to focus on today is definitely relevant to this and maybe part of maybe not a solution, but something that can help us mentally reframe. Uh, first, I'll start with I mean, ultimately, when I was preparing for this episode, it was before the protest started. And so I was really looking at it through the lens of COVID-19. So I wanted to start by talking about it in that context. And then I also tried to find some ways that it has been interwoven into the current climate of the country and the world. So this first article is from The Guardian. And as we've mentioned, we link to every single article and other things that we reference in our show notes. If you want to read the whole thing, it'll be there for you. And this one's entitled, How to Mentally Prepare for More COVID-19 Uncertainty. And this came out in early May. So almost a month ago, believe it or not. In part of the article, they said, the more relevant question to ask is not when will this end, but how can we cope with this dragging on? One healthy thing you can do is to preemptively curb disappointment by readjusting your horizons. Some of us may still have our hopes fixed on an event in the future. The way things are shaping up, there's a lot of uncertainty. What's going to be open? Is there going to be a second wave of outbreaks? We just don't know. Looking forward to plans can be psychologically beneficial, keeping us engaged in life. But given the current circumstances, either focus on the right here, right now, we will have a lot more control over the next week. Or try focusing on the more distant future, maybe a year or more from now. This advice dovetails the wisdom of the U.S. Navy Vice Admiral James Stockdale. Stockdale, who spent seven years as a prisoner of the Vietnam War, is renowned for his articulation of what is now called Stockdale's Paradox, a hope for the best, prepare for the worst ethos captured by his quote, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. Mm. Wow. I mean, to me, that goes into this idea of bypassing or one thing that I've been paying attention to with is, is toxic positivity. That's one thing that I've been seeing being talked about of high vibes only and 
there's room for positivity, don't get me wrong, but when positivity is being trumpeted from the rafters or on social media or the rhetoric of bypassing the gravity of the moment, that's what brings it up for me is people calling out toxic positivity. Mm. I'm glad that that's being discussed, you know, and I wanted to bring it up in reference to the quote you just shared of like, let's not feel shame for shame's sake. Let's not feel guilt for guilt's sake, but also let's not high vibe our way out of this shit. Like, let's really dig into like the gravity of the moment. Absolutely. And Stockdale observed during his time in the Vietnam War, I believe. Yeah, when he was a prisoner, his cellmates, the optimists who believed that they would be free by Christmas, then when that didn't happen by Easter and so on, became demoralized and literally died of a broken heart. While our circumstances are distinctly unlike Stockdale's, his wisdom regarding how to cope with uncertainty still resonates. We cannot afford to spend the entirety of this pandemic expecting normalcy to manifest just around the bend. Doing so only compounds our pain. No expectations. Yeah. I think if we expect things or project into the future too much, there's pain and potential disappointment. If we lament and regret our choices in the past, there's pain there too. And in a very real way, I think that practicing presence and being in the moment and dealing with what is right in front of us right now, we've heard it a million different ways an innumerable number of times from so many different spiritual teachers from so many lineages and religions, right? Of like, be here now, be present, be here. I think this moment in human history, that is one of the grandest lessons, right? Is just what is right in front of me right now and how best can I respond to it? That's really what it is. I wanted to see if I could find anybody talking about the Stockdale paradox more recently. And I found this great article on Medium called The America I Can't Quite See. And it was written by a man whose name I feel like I'm really going to botch. I'm not going to try, but it, <laughs> it will be linked in the description. I don't want to do him any disrespect. But he did have some really great points in this. And he said, for there to be love, there must be truth. And let me state four things that are true. Number one, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, Eric Gardner, Freddie Gray, Sean Bell, and on and on, Admin Arbery, and countless others whose names I do not have this space to print should be alive. Number two, Christian Cooper should be able to watch birds and the Americans of African descent should be able to go through the basics of life without the possibility that a chance encounter with someone who fears or loathes them could end their lives or diminish their dignity. Number three, the reason behind the first two truths is racism as old as our country. And number four, it is on every single person who bears the title of American to solve this. And his article is quite in-depth here. He does mention the Stockdale paradox. I'm going to skip down to that. So he says, we will have to embrace a civic version of the Stockdale paradox. He does a little bit of a description about it, as I shared in the other article there. Let's confront the brutal reality that George Floyd and so many others who we grimly memorialize were not just failed by the criminal justice system. They were failed by every system in our society by an education system whose outcomes are more determined by your zip code than your aptitude, an economic system that clusters wealth even as workers become more productive, by a healthcare system that even during the pandemic serves too few people of color 
and others too numerous to name. There is a false choice that posits that only two courses, that the only two courses are to either accept the current unacceptable status quo because it is too hard to change or to tear all of our systems down because they are too far gone. We must create a third choice to burrow to the core of each of these systems and transform them entirely so that our country can live its creed. This choice is the hardest, most uncertain, but also the only one that can deliver what we seek. A country and world where I don't have to explain to my son why another man who looked like him died for a reason he can't understand. This article is really wonderful and in-depth and just some context. He is a technology and human rights fellow at the Harvard Carr Center for Human Rights Policy. He holds degrees from Tufts University, Harvard University, and many others. And he ends this by saying, I choose to have faith. As someone who grew up in the church, the good book has a lot to say on the subject. It is generally defined as a belief in the unseen, the America that I cannot yet see, where my son's life is as valuable as anyone else's, is the inheritance I intend to leave him. I have seen glimpses of it in my own life where people who did not look like me helped me in ways that did not benefit them and cost them. These glimpses are nowhere close to enough, but they show me glimmers of what can be. As the Bible also says in the book of James, faith without works is dead. No matter what you look like or how affected you are by what has happened in America for too long, my son needs your work. We all do. And we need it now. Beautifully expressed. Beautifully written. The other thing that comes up for me, Whitney, is the, and I don't know who this quote is attributed to off the top of my head, but without vision, the people perish. And I think it's so important for us to have creative vision for not just America is going to be moving forward, but the social justice and economic systems moving forward in the world. You know, I mean, we're here in America, you and I live in Los Angeles, so that's obviously what we're mostly focused on. But I think, you know, if I look back on some of the choices that have been made from the economic bailouts of the banks and the hedge funds and glossing over the systemic racism or throwing cookies or the the minimal reforms we've had in the criminal justice, I mean, there's a million examples we could bring up. I feel it's sort of been like, I don't know, you know, you have a teapot that's shattered into a million pieces and you're like, just duct tape it. I mean, we need to pour the tea. It's a horrible analogy, but the proverbial duct taping of the massively fractured things in our systems, we can't do it. And I think probably the most challenging part to echo what he expressed in that article is like, how do we form a new vision? That's where the hard work is going to be for all of us, right? Is cool. Can we agree that the system we've been in and are in is broken? We have to have some form of agreement with that. But then what do we want to create from the ashes of this? That to me is like the total. And I think the reason we haven't, Whitney, other than people wanting to uphold their own personal power structures, is because it seems daunting, doesn't it? Like to think about creating a new economic system, a new healthcare system, a new system of cultural reform and uh, criminal justice reform. I mean, all of the things, holy shit, that feels so heavy and so daunting. But at this point, what are we going to go back to the way it was? We can't. And I think that's the reason why so much of this protest and upheaval is more and more people are realizing we can't go back. It's so broken and so unjust and so cruel that we have to move forward, even if we don't know what we're moving forward into. Absolutely. And that's all about getting uncomfortable. You know, I think 
a lot of the reasons that change doesn't happen is simply because we want to be comfortable so badly. I mean, it's a deep human desire, but we have to remember that everybody wants to be comfortable and a lot of people have not lived lives of comfort. And to your point, bringing up Jeff Bezos, there is that inequality. Like, why should he have the comfort of all this money, but his employees don't? You know, like it's probably far more complicated than I can understand in this moment. I don't think it's as simple as, hey, just pay them more. You have so much money because I don't know how his financial structure is. But from the outside, it certainly looks like he is living a much more comfortable life. And I think part of the solution for something like that is just to explain it more and be more transparent because. Maybe he has a structure for a reason. And if we could at least understand his reasoning, then we could at least be more accepting of it. That doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't mean that it should stay that way. It makes me wonder, like, is the lack of communication in place so that we feel confused and thus we can't try to change something, right? Because I know for me, the more information I have, the easier it is for me to approach something. And when I feel confused, I tend to get a little bit paralyzed. I don't know what decision to make. And I've certainly seen this with COVID-19 and this is definitely happening now. And it's like, are we being kept confused for a reason? Is there kind of like a conspiracy there? Like, is that part of the plan? Or is it just that things like this are complicated and it takes a while to sort through them and there may not be a black and white answer? We may need to choose different paths. I guess like my compassion within me wants to give a lot of people, if not everybody, the respect that things are in place for a reason, but they should also give the respect back to us to explain themselves as much as possible. It's like there's kind of this ego of, I don't have to explain myself to you. That's just the way it is. But for me, being a big why person, when I can understand what your motives are and your reasons for something, then it makes it a lot easier for me to accept it. And I think that we just have to continue to have open dialogues. And, you know, I even feel this way about Trump. Like there's a lot of things I just don't understand. I just, I don't feel like I understand him, period. You know, and I kind of wish I did. So at least I'd be able to say, you know what? I agree to disagree, but at least I understand your reason for it. You know? Yeah. And I think the open dialogue and people willing to come to the table right now to, to share ideas and, and share perspectives, I think is so critical. And the danger, right, Whitney, is hating a specific group of people for their perspectives rather than trying to understand them. And it's not giving them a pass. That's not what I'm saying. It's not condoning or giving people a pass for inappropriate, hurtful, charged, violent behavior, right? Or any of that. It's just, to your point, if we had an understanding of why people feel the need to oppress others psychologically, why they feel the need to amass unconsciousable amounts of wealth, it just has two examples. Like, why do you feel the need to do that? What is in a person that I think about this all the time, just on a basic level of human psychology, you know, and I ponder it. I don't have the answers, but I ponder, you know, what 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 is in a person that motivates them to want to have a hundred billion dollars? What's inside of a person that automatically makes them hate a person of another color, religion, political system. I mean, there's a million examples of why people choose to hate each other. As simple as like a xenophobia type of argument of what they don't understand and don't know, they automatically push away and hate. You know, is it a xenophobic attitude? Is it 
something they learned from generations from their father and grandfather and great grandfather, and they never chose to question it. I mean, related, but kind of as an aside, you know, I remember as a little kid, some of the male figures in my family, like especially this week, I, I'm remembering some of the racist shit that they would say, you know, like my grandpa and my uncles, and not all of them, but some. And I even remember as a young kid, like, feeling this sick feeling in my stomach when they would say those kind of things. Because it wasn't that I understood the context of what they were saying, but I felt their energy behind it. I felt the hate behind it. I felt the anger behind it. I remember as a kid being like, why are they so angry at these people? Later, I came to like disassociate myself from it, but I don't know. It begs a question of even though I had those impressions as a child of, you know, racist attitudes of some of the men in my family, my curiosity in my own family context was why didn't I adopt it? Do you know what I mean, Wit? Like, why didn't I take that on? Whereas other contexts of family, you'll have a very similar situation and then it spreads generationally, you know, where the kids are like, oh, well, I see my dad or my grandpa hating those people. So it must be okay to hate those people. You know, I wonder why I didn't take that on. Whereas other family, dynamics, that's just, it's kind of a given. I get so curious about the psychology and the imprinting of that on young minds. Absolutely. I think about that with myself too. And it's hard to say how we are shaped as human beings is very complex and there's so many factors involved. And I think I'm a big proponent for education and awareness simply because that's helped me so much is being around people that are well-educated and people that have different perspectives. And education also doesn't necessarily mean that you have a degree. Education could mean that you read a lot of books or you have a lot of conversations or you watch a lot of documentaries or you are doing things to evolve your mind. And I've been blessed to be around a lot of those people and I'm incredibly grateful for it and continue my education on a daily basis through research. And that's really helped shape me. I've just been a naturally curious person. And some of us are not given or encouraged to be that way. And so that's why I really advocate for it. Another article I wanted to bring up is a really well-articulated one. Again, I was just searching for more recent discussions around these things. And I came across one that was an open letter to the green business community written by Joel McCower, who is a chairman and executive editor uh, at Green Biz Group. I think that's this website that I'm reading from. And he had some really well-articulated points in this article. And I'll start here. The calamities of 2020, the physical, economic, social, and psychological crises we've already been confronting these past few months have contributed to this raw movement the culmination of centuries of systematic oppression and institutionalized racism. Words of comfort, of healing and hope, aren't cutting it, and they shouldn't. This is a moment for the private sector to step up, not just in helping to calm and heal, though that will be a critical task in the coming days and weeks, but also to lobby for justice, economic justice, racial justice, criminal justice, climate justice and to deeply understand what these terms even mean and how they relate to creating the societal value that is the beating heart of business. This is a seminal moment that is testing all of us, those in sustainability certainly, along with most everyone else. And as we work on 
or support societal solutions. And there are likely to be countless ideas coming out of this from every conceivable source. It's important to ask some simple but profound questions. Who's setting the rules? Who's calling the shots? Who's being heard? Who's left out? Who's benefiting from the status quo and from the proposed solutions? Does it empower the marginalized or merely placate the restless? These are the kind of questions that have been woefully absent in the past, and we are living with the result. If we are to change the course, not simply aim to get back to some elusive normal, these questions will need to be asked and answer. Failure to do that will lead us right back to where we are. Man, I don't know how to respond to that other than I think it's incredibly eloquent in the sense that everything is interrelated. Everything that we're looking at right now, all of the changes and evolutions and upheaval and uncertainty, it's all an interwoven fabric of the human existence, right? And to address one thing in a vacuum solely, thinking that it's going to address other things, and maybe that's it. Maybe that's why comfort and people staying silent and people backing away from challenging issues, because maybe people feel on some level it's so daunting to change all of this. Why even bother? Look where that attitude's gotten us, right? Is, oh, just, you know, status quo, let it keep going. Like, if anything, you realize that the status quo needs to kind of be detonated at this point. But I love that that creates this truth of it's all interwoven the climate justice, the animal rights, rights for people of color, rights for minorities, rights for the homeless, the houseless. I mean, I think if I can summarize it all, Wit, it's like, we need to do a better job of taking care of each other. Like, we can do a way better job of taking care of each other. In a lot of ways, we haven't been taking good care of each other. It's been everyone out for themselves and everyone being really selfish and really myopic and focused on their own shit. And whether it's the animals, the planet, people that are different than us, we got to do a better job of taking care of each other. And that sounds wonderful in theory, but it's not that easy because we're fighting against a lot of history and programming. The one thing that I felt compelled to share on my personal Instagram account was a graph of what's happened in America and the kind of history of racism from slavery and segregation. When I saw this image, I knew I had to share it because it showed me the perspective and realizing that this has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And when you see it in that visual, it really can help understand how complex this is and how long this has been going on and why people are so fed up. But similar to what we were just saying about how we're shaped as human beings, we are working against a lot of that time. And our brains as human beings take a while to evolve. Our society takes a while to change. And so I think kind of what I'm thinking with the Stockdale paradox is that we can't just expect that things are going to change that quickly. Even when we've had presidents that I felt very aligned with, there were still challenges in this country. We're dealing with this by an individual level and a city level and a state level and a governmental level and then a global level. I mean, there's all of that, each working through all of our current situations and our histories. And then we're working through our parents and our grandparents and so on and so on, all of our ancestors' histories. And there's just so much there to unpack and to work through and to consider. And so I'm a very optimistic person. 
But I also need to face some of the reality here and just see like, okay, what can I do right now in this moment? And what can I do that's going to have a bigger impact? And also just continue to remember it may get worse before it gets better or it may slowly get better. We might not see a lot of these changes in our lifetimes. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be taking action. But as human beings that tend to be very impatient, I think this is part of like what happened or the ways that I was feeling with the women's march. It was like, okay, I went to this march. Like, where's the change? Well, that change may take many years to come to fruition, right? So what's happening right now, I mean, COVID-19 is another great example. We don't know how long that's been going to be going on for. And even when you get infected with it, it takes a few weeks for you to even have symptoms sometimes. So it's like, there's not a lot of immediacy here. And change in general can just take a lot of time. So I think it's this constant reflection on what's going on right now. What can I do right now? And I need to be patient and consistent. We talk about consistency so much here. We have our program, the consistency code, and that was developed around the fact that we need to do things over and over again. And I've seen this too is we can't just like, post an image on Instagram and donate to a cause and think that it's going to solve everything. You know, we have to be posting regularly and having conversations with people in our lives and we need to be educating ourselves and donating money and and fighting on a regular basis or taking action on a regular basis, you know? It's not going to end after this week. I mean, in my friend group keeps saying like when's this going to be over? <laughs> You know, like when are the protests going to be over? When's the looting going to be over? Well, just because those things are over doesn't mean that this issue is solved or over. That's right. But the problem is, and this is going back to what I was saying earlier, the problem is once the protests end, does everybody just forget why they were happening? And I think the reason I feel good about the protests continuing for this past week is that it's a daily reminder for me. And a lot of us need daily, consistent reminders of what the reality is outside of our own lives. And we need to be talking to people and finding out how we can take action. We need to step out of our own, you know, as Jason was saying, like self-centered viewpoints and really consider the impact that we're having on the entire world and all of these different levels. I remember when I first started researching animal rights and planetary rights and making the transition, you know, into a vegan lifestyle years and years ago. And I think the quote was, think for at least a few moments of the atrocities of which you spare yourself the sight on a regular basis. Right. And so what you're saying about this consistency, Whitney, of like, oh, when's this going to go away? When are things going to go back to normal? Ain't going to be no fucking normal after this. Like, I need to go there for a second. Like, anyone who's like clinging to like wanting things to go back to the way they were, my opinion is that's a pipe dream. It's like whether it's global devastation, the Amazon's burning, animals being slaughtered, people of color being beaten to death in the streets, the police brutality, like name any damn thing. Like if we don't expose ourselves to like, oh, I can't watch that video. I'm not judging anyone, but there's some times where you just need to watch the damn video, you know, because it's like, oh, I don't want to see that out of sight, out of mind. But sometimes we need that to see What other people who are different than us, other species, other races, people of different economic classes, like it doesn't mean we have to directly experience that horror, that atrocity, but to have our hearts and our minds open to what 
the other person or other being is going through, I think it's important to consume that in whatever degree people want to. I was going to say comfortable with, but the hell with that. We have to open ourselves to, on a very fundamental level, understanding what these atrocities are about. I really believe that. Absolutely. And I think that's really where I'm at in this moment of recording is just continuing to pay attention, to educate myself, to listen, to be curious, and to question myself in as many moments as I'm considering it, is that what is my action? What is a helpful action right now? And I think it takes going outside of our comfort zones. I'm really trying to figure that out for myself because I think maybe it's a little extra tricky right now because we were already pushed a little outside of our comfort zones in a lot of ways through COVID-19. And now I'm starting to feel comfortable in quarantine. Being outside of quarantine sounds uncomfortable for me. right? And so it's like, oh, we're being asked to change again. But as we've said many times, change is the only constant. It's just sometimes it's more subtle than others. And so for me, I have to examine what my comfort zones are, how they serve me and how they serve the world and how they don't serve me and the world. And also tuning into like when I feel pressured, you know, I don't want to be somebody who does something as we talked about another recent episode, like I don't want to take action because I'm pressured to take action. I don't want to take fake action or performance action, as we mentioned. I want to be doing things that really make sense and resonate with me, but I can't just wait around for those to happen. I can't just sit in that resistance and overthinking it all the time. I have to be willing to make the mistakes. And actually, Jeff Bezos, he has a great theory around this, around how you just have to create things before they feel fully finished. And that's part of his success is contributed to just putting things out there and fixing them along the way. I think that's a really important thing to remind ourselves as it's okay to make mistakes. Even if people unfollow us or shame us or tell us we're doing things wrong, what's so bad about that? If that's the worst that's going to happen, we're doing pretty well because there are a lot of horrible things happening in the world. And if our whole reasoning and motivation for something is to make a difference in this world, it's okay if some people don't agree with it or align with it. And you never know, they shape and change later on. And we don't have control over how people perceive us. We don't have control over whether or not someone likes us. We can do our best. And again, we talked about this in the cultural appropriation episode. We're just going to make mistakes sometimes and we just have to examine them as they happen, but not let that get in our way of us taking action. Yeah, that's well said, Wit. And I was on a call earlier today with a group of entrepreneurs, plant-based entrepreneurs, green entrepreneurs. Just, I was invited by an acquaintance to come on and answer some questions about social media marketing. And one of the brands asked me about the current situation with COVID and with Black Lives Matter and the social unrest and the cultural changes we're all going through. He said, how do we speak? How do we communicate in our emails and our social media right now? I said, I think, first of all, don't be afraid to lose followers. Don't be afraid to lose customers. Don't be afraid to like, listen, I know with the economic stability, especially for small business owners, like the last thing we want to think about is losing business right now. I said, if you feel compelled to speak from the heart, 
right? And you sit with like in your heart, what is your truth and what is your perspective on this? I said, that's what you write in the email. You speak from your personal voice, not from a script, not from what you think you ought to say, not from someone else compelling you to say something on their behalf, like your heart, your truth. So you need to get to what that is. And if you feel like you want to express that, I said, I think that right now, a lot of the tactics of marketing are fucking crumbling, right? People see through the bullshit more than ever. I said, but if people feel like your brand values are mirroring your values as a CEO or a founder, I said, I think those two need to be inseparable. My opinion, right? Is that your brand stands for justice, your brand stands for health, your brand stands for equality, your brand stands for assisting the mental health and emotional wellness of people because it was a CBD brand. I said, people are struggling on all sides right now. The activists are struggling, the people losing their loved ones. I mean, you want to focus on like uplifting people's emotional health and mental wellness? I said, that's where you go. You know, you speak from the heart, you address what's going on, but you do giveaways, you offer people assistance, you offer discounts, you donate a portion of the proceeds, like whatever is in your heart to do. I said, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but as a business person, as a brand right now, you got to come from the heart because people will feel it. And if you lose followers and you lose customers, fuck it. And people really appreciated me saying that. And that is how I feel. You know, it's like we go back to it with like you and I as content creators, as coaches, as hosts, as people who are in the wellness industry, the vegan industry, whatever the way people recognize us, like we just have to speak what is in our hearts when we want to speak it, how we want to speak it, stay open, stay humble, keep learning, and people will respond or react to it how they do. And we have no control over that. That's kind of where I'm at in this moment, you know, is how can I speak the truth of love and support and service to the people that I believe in? And that's it, you know? And who knows how this is all going to unfold, but I think for all of us to stay open-hearted, open-minded, keep learning, stay humble, speak our truth, that's my foundation right now. So with that, dear listener, we thank you for always going on this journey with us. We have no idea where it's going to go, what the twists and turns of these conversations are going to be, but we appreciate your listenership. We appreciate your subscribership. We appreciate you sharing this on social media if it feels compelling to you. And of course, also you joining the conversation, whether that's shooting us an email to hello at wellevator.com, chiming in on our social media feeds at Wellevator, or going to our website and commenting on the show notes. And again, all of the resources, all of the books, interviews, articles, perspectives we shared in this episode are available in the show notes section at wellevator.com. Just click the podcast button. It'll take you right to this episode. With that, we're going to keep getting uncomfortable. It is our commitment to do that, to stretch ourselves, to learn, to admit we don't have the answers, to admit we're always growing and evolving. And that's what the experience is here on This Might Get Uncomfortable. So until next time, keep fighting the good fight, keep speaking your truth, stay open, stay humble, my friends. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.